Hey guys, welcome to the Rough Stuff Podcast. This is episode 13, and today we're going to discuss all things R&D. I'm Garrett, Rough Stuff CEO. I've got Zach, Rough Stuff President, with me. Hello. And our guests today are the Rough Stuff R&D Research and Development team. We've got Wyatt. Hello. And Caleb. What up? And uh, over video, we got Danny. Hey, guys. What's up, man? So today we want to rest up, uh, discuss like rough stuff R and D, the processes, product design, and also answer some uh, some questions. So the first things first, um, Wyatt, Caleb, Danny, introduce introduce your guys' selves and and your titles and and what your job duties are. I'm Wyatt. I'm the lead R and D guy here at Rough Stuff. Uh, I've been with Rough Stuff for uh, about six years now, and yeah, I'm just in charge of all the new products we have. Uh, coming in and a little bit of the design work. How's it going? I'm Caleb. Uh, I've been with Rough Stuff for about two years now. Um, I'm just uh, Wyatt's right-hand man in day-to-day research and development stuff. I'm Danny. I'm the R&D CAD designer. Basically take care of most of the CAD stuff um, and new product development along with everybody else. Or not, how long Did you say how long you've been here? I've been here, sorry, about a little over two years. Sweet. Um how did like all you guys get started in R and D and like designing designing parts? So before that, let's go even like before rough stuff, like just in your own guys' private life, wheeling, having fun, building junk, stuff like that. Why don't you start this off, Caleb? You're pretty crafty. Well, when I was like 15, I built a Toyota, straight axled it, and then just kind of took off from there. Really liked the whole off road community. Got a job here at Rough Stuff as a welder, and then I just kept going from there. Yeah. Um, I also like Caleb. Got a I got a Jeep though when I was 15 or 16, and uh, I was always into welding and fabricating. And I think that led into making parts for the Jeep, and then it just kind of snowballed from there. I got it into four wheeling and uh, off roading, and then yeah, I eventually got a job at Rough Stuff, and uh, I started out uh, machining. Uh, and then moved into welding, and then eventually uh, got into a little bit of the design and prototype stuff, and then just got more involved with R&D as, as I went. So, Yeah, you've definitely been involved in a lot of different sides of the fab shop and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. How about you, Danny? Tell us a little bit about your background. I know you're not a conventional four-wheel drive guy. No, I've had a few Toyotas in my life. Actually, I was doing the math the other day. I've had 10 different Toyotas in my life. Um <laughs> Watched two wheel drives. I did have a couple four wheel drives. Um, I mean, I know we didn't do much rock crawling and stuff like that. It was just riding dirt trails and stuff like that. So never really had to do anything, not much modification to anything. Just kind of rode them the way they were. And then been doing design work for like 12, 15 years and started working here at Rough Stuff and been having a lot of fun. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So, you know, you think four wheel drive company, CAD design, you know, you got to be doing a very select like you know skill set but danny actually comes from the world of moto and you worked with a lot of different machining applications things like that as well right danny yeah yeah i've I've been around like my stepdad was a machinist for his entire life and he's like like second generation machinist and so i've always kind of been around machine shops and stuff like that and worked at a few different ones and worked my way up into r&d at um, one of the machine shops i was at and then started doing design work for them and Work, did some design work for a company called Promoto Billet, doing motorcycle parts, and then came here, started doing this stuff. And it's been a different challenge because, yeah, I don't have a whole lot of experience with straight-up off-road vehicles, but uh, 
you know, the information I get from Wyatt and all, and these guys, they give me everything I need to figure that stuff out. So when you're coming up through, um, those companies and, and learning how to, to draw, were you going to school to learn that or were you just like learning on the job or? So I get the easiest way is kind of tell a story is, you know, like I said, my stepdad was a machinist. Um, and you know, I got into BMX racing when I was like 15 and been racing for about a year. And, uh, I was going to go to a national and he didn't really work on my bikes much, but he's like, you know, I need to look at your bike and make sure it's in good shape before you go. And so he took it to the shop and, um, found a few problems with it and actually ended up like welding and making new parts for it. And like that, at that point, like, like, I want to be a machinist too. He's like, I want to make parts. And he's like, well, before you learn how to make parts, you gotta learn how to draw them. And so I kind of went down that path, you know, started doing drafting classes and stuff like that in high school. And then a little bit into college, and then at the machine shops, you know, I started doing a little bit of design work there too. So kind of, it's kind of how I got into this, this mess. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool, man. That's a cool story. I didn't actually know that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Would you now like looking back on that, actually, if you had to give someone advice, is that the way like you'd recommend someone to do that, that same way? Or would you say maybe mix some school in there or. I would definitely say school is important. Um, I feel like I did it the hard way. There's a lot of stuff I think I could have. I could have gotten into design work a lot faster had I gone to school for engineering or something like that. I kind of looked into the drafting thing and thought that was what I was going to do. And kind of looking back, yeah, I definitely should have looked into engineering instead because I didn't. Drafting kind of goes into a you know architectural and civil direction, and I didn't want to sit at a desk just doing architectural drawings. I wanted to be more hands-on doing mechanical stuff. So you know, engineering would have been a better path, but. But I mean, I feel like along the way I've learned a lot and I feel like a lot of the stuff that I've learned doing it the hard way has made it to where when I design stuff, I understand how the manufacturing process works. And so I can design stuff around that and make sure that it's, you know, not only does it look cool and it works, but you can actually make it and assemble it and all that stuff. So, yeah, I kind of feel the same way. Like if I were to like start over again, I I feel like I kind of like, uh, I draw the same way I would like make it by hand or think about how it's manufactured first. And that if you, I think if you just had someone that went to school that doesn't understand the manufacturing processes, they'll skip some steps or, or the part could cost a lot more because there's like all these extra, um, like hand handle or different ops you have to run, right? Like on a lathe or something, if you designed it super weird. Yeah. So anyways, yeah. one thing I think we kind of pass over is your experience on this stuff, Garrett, because you drew a lot of stuff back in the day and yours was all pretty much the hard way. Huh? Yeah, but yeah, and I, I, I actually wish I would have done some schooling just for the print side of things. For drawing, it's like super, it's pretty straightforward, you know. Um, but like learning how to communicate that information to the machine shop or something is some, is a skill I don't really have, um, you know, and tolerances sorting all that stuff out. So that's that's where I think uh, my skill set kind of stops. Is just I can draw, I can I can understand the, the basics of it and and communicate like verbally. But yeah, if I were to, if I had to send the print to so and so machine shop or whatever plate shop, I would have we would have issues, and we have had issues in the past. Oh, that's yeah. probably why. <laughs> so, yeah, and you kind of started doing CAD work just out of necessity, right? Because I mean, we didn't really have an official designer back then. We just needed somebody to figure it out to start making stuff that we needed to build. We had problems, you know, and I was yeah. trying to fix them. So we had like uh, Dan started out using this program called E Machine Shop, and it's free, and it's actually still out there. I downloaded it like like six months ago just to see if it was still usable and it's like super basic but actually it's it's decent for just doing two-dimensional stuff and uh 
but it just doesn't have like measuring tools. You have to use like use like lines and sketch your lines at like whatever length you want to like measure or like set your uh, parameters to or whatever. And um, and so we just had a bunch of issues with like the tolerant the parts just being drawn weird or not consistent. And so you know again it's like one of those things where you just pick up the slack, right? You find find a hole, try and fix it, and then it just yeah it became out of necessity. So gosh, different kind of different. But um, what about you guys? I mean, you guys both draw. Use SolidWorks, and now we're going the Fusion. So yeah, yeah. I started in high school doing the drafting thing like Danny, and uh, it was a lot of AutoCAD and uh, architectural stuff. And I didn't really, I wasn't interested in that. So I think I kind of phased out of it towards the end of high school, and I started doing more welding stuff. Um, but then in uh, college, they offered SolidWorks, and uh, I started taking those classes, and that was a lot more mechanical. And uh, I think that's where my interest picked back up in in designing and and uh, and the manufacturing side so yeah and uh with fusion now fusion is a lot uh more integrated in the cam software we use for uh, machining and programming so um, that's pretty exciting seeing the part um go from the design process directly into the uh into the machine process uh just in in one program it's pretty cool yeah i've been watching you guys do that it's pretty looks pretty 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 nice it's pretty impressive i mean it's pretty amazing you know some simple Basic instructions can make a lot of stuff happen, man. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool that one program can do all that stuff too. Yeah. You get a bunch of add-ons or multiple programs or all that stuff, so it's kind of nice to just be able to all do it in one spot. Definitely. What about you, Caleb? Um. Yeah, honestly, I had no drawing or manufacturing experience before I got into R and D. Um, I knew how to weld. I knew how to build rock crawlers and like I knew what looked good and what didn't um, but it was just trying to get all of those pieces put together in order to get a good part made but yeah why it's helped me out a bunch and Danny as well so it's been been cool I really like the fusion stuff it's way more intuitive than SolidWorks so it makes my day-to-day job a little easier how's that transition been going because I know like I have I have I think everyone has trouble like, tra- like moving from one pr- program to another is that still is it getting easier or still the same learning curve uh i think it's it's pretty easy i mean if you know SolidWorks a fair bit it makes the transition a little easier there's some some quirks to fusion that's different but i don't think there's any major major hiccups that i've found i don't i don't know about you danny you have more experience in SolidWorks. Than yeah I mostly just been little things like the for the main most part you know drawing and stuff like that is basically the same yeah do a two-dimensional drawing extrude it or whatever um but it's just, yeah, it's been little things that I've been noticing that are kind of weird. Um, like some of the mates instead of the constraints are just a little different. And um, I don't know, they're just little things. And I'm sure we'll find more as we go. But at the same time, like I, I'll find like two things that are kind of that I don't like about it. But then I find three more things that I really like about it. So yeah. it's going to be working pretty well. Does Fusion have any like um, like bend up software in there too? Or is that specific yeah. to the machine? Like as far as like program programming like program sorry programming like a press break or something. Uh, I haven't seen any of that. No, I'm I haven't not. looked into it at all though, so I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure if they have a a break option. I know they have um, any sort of machining you want, and they have uh, like laser and water jet cam systems, but I don't know about a break. They even have 3D printing in there too. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. and that's all included like just in that basic like that one that one tier plan they have, right? It's just yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think you even get some software to build like computer boards if you uh, yeah. wanted to. Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh, like the electrical. So it's like SolidWorks, like like the whatever the best one is, like the premium yeah. or professional or something. Yeah. Yeah. Love it, man. That's cool. I didn't even know I could do that. That's crazy. Yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty cool thing. I've been looking a little bit into the whole animation side of it stuff too. Like Mallory was wanting that animation of the the rock sliders, and I've been looking into that. And there's actually a lot of options on that too. Like just kind of showing how stuff goes together, assembly drawings and stuff, or actually assembly animations and stuff like that, which would be kind of cool to play around with. Oh, yeah. Sweet. Zach? Oh, my R&D background in history and CAD design? (laughs) Uh, Virtually nothing. (laughs) Um, But, you know, doing things the hard way has been the theme of my life, so, I mean, I could get into it right now. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Have you you haven't done any drawing on SolidWorks or... I mean, nothing of value, I, sh- I should say. I have done stuff, but it was, you know, nothing great. You showed me some stuff way back in the day, but it was so yeah. rudimentary, and I would need some time. Yeah. But, I mean, I remember when we were going out at Hammers last year, you were right behind me, Caleb, in the truck, and I totally thought you were passed out for, like, six hours. <laughs> Your head was just down. I was like, ah, that's all right. You know, he's, he's going to earn his time back the next week. It's going to be a hard, long, cold week. And, uh, and I just start he- hearing kind of, hmm, oh, cool, oh. And I, like, kind of tilt my head up. I realize you're just watching YouTube videos for like six hours on fusion <laughs> stuff, just learning every little detail you could. Have. That was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. That, that'd be my route to learn it. I just I would have to sit down and just drill through it. But you know, it's definitely not my craft. Definitely not something I have a natural knack for, unfortunately. Yeah, I think that transition for me was a little bit easier than Wyatt and Danny, just because I didn't have any uh, SolidWorks, or I didn't have much SolidWorks uh, experience before that. When I got that opportunity, just had a bunch of time, nothing to do. I figured I may as well make it useful and try to learn how to use Fusion a little bit better. Oh, yeah. yeah making it count. All right. So uh, the next uh, user submitted question was, what is some of your favorite equipment to use while designing or around the shop? Uh, we kind of went over the CAD a little bit, but you want to chime in on that, Danny, from your side? Uh, we, yeah, we already talked about the CAD and some of that stuff, but as far as like getting measurements and figuring out, you know, where things need to go. Like, you know, obviously some of the simple stuff we use is like micrometers and tape measures and stuff like that. But we also do get some information from SEMA, some CAD stuff for being able to use to reverse engineer um, some stuff from them. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Even like cardboard cutouts and stuff like that have been really helpful. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so then we pulled up some cardboard and take some measurements off of that and it works really well. The original CAD design. Do you have a, like certain brand, tools that you prefer over others or are you just like whatever as far as like I, micrometers go and stuff yeah my calipers i've always got mitotoyo those are my favorites but outside of that i don't i have much preference whatever works oh yeah how about you guys i mean you guys are a lot more in the fab shop building stuff testing stuff seeing what works what doesn't um in size for me that's what i like it's also the only calipers i've ever had so <laughs> uh yeah honestly whatever works i mean as long as they're calibrated and they're accurate um, not the plastic harbor freight ones yeah no <laughs> or the ones yeah, that have been dropped on the ground a couple times are, what was that Sorry. danny so i've actually been surprised at how accurate some of those harbor freight ones are <laughs> yeah. not they're not terrible but yeah if you want to use them all the time you want something better than that yeah yeah what about you, Wyatt? I mean, you do a lot of hands-on stuff. What kind of gear do you end up using day-to-day? Uh, as far as, like, hand tools go, I have, uh, like, Minotoyo calipers and, and uh, measuring tools for that. But um, as far as equipment goes, um, most of our stuff in the shop is uh, we have all Lincoln welders in the shop. And uh, to me, I think uh, the Lincoln MIG welders are 
or uh, I really like those more more than uh, the other the blue brand. Uh, that's, that's my preference on those. But yeah, other than that, I mean, I don't really have much preference as far as tool goes. Any any quality tool will, will get the job done. I think pretty much what works will work. Yeah, huh? yeah. I don't have a uh, a loyalty to one brand over the other. Really, it is nice to have quality gear. You know, stuff like Lincoln Mid Toyota stuff yeah. like that is nice to make the make the difference on doing it right. Right. Within the first ten tries versus the first twenty thirty tries. You know? Right. Is there any other tools that you guys are kind of like can't live without? You guys have been machining a lot of stuff. Or lately. wish we, or wish we had. <laughs> I mean, shit, you guys have been building jigs lately a lot. I mean, for the past couple of years. Yeah, we do a lot of jigs. A lot of our our jigs are just custom jigs that we make in house, just because of uh, necessity. If we're making, you know, a hundred parts that are all the all the same, they need to be welded. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll have a fixture that holds each individual component in place, and that's all just custom in house stuff that we do. Yeah. Um, and pretty much all that work falls to you guys, right? As far as yeah. building jigs, stuff of that yeah. variety. Caleb or I take care of all that stuff. Yeah, I try to make it easy for the welders and the production crew to to uh, make the most amount of parts in their shift. So, yeah. I feel like a lathe and like a, like if you just have a garage shop and you have your welder, your grinder, your just basic tools. But once you get a lathe, I feel like that like really steps up like what you can make. Oh yeah. Like it. I don't know. They're just so. So versatile in what you can yeah. do, you know. I was gonna say a mill first, but then I thought of it like lathe is like you guys spin stuff, you know. I mean, yeah. there's so many yeah. round things you can make. Yeah. <laughs> so, I've always been a big fan of a mill. You know, I I learned a lot of stuff at some of my other jobs. I'm just a regular like Bridgeport mill or a jet mill. You know, just cutting metal all all the time. You know, you can do all kinds of stuff with that. It's like a big etch a sketch or a big drill drill press. I don't know, do all kinds of stuff. But a lathe definitely right there in line with a like. Those two tools are probably the most versatile things you could have. Don't you have like yeah. you have like your own CNC mill, don't you? Yeah, I do. I've actually I've got my own little Bridgeport mill, just a manual, and I've also got a little uh, Tormox CNC. I've got a little 3D printer back here that I do some stuff on, um, and I do have a little lathe, but I don't have it set up right now. That's awesome, man. And yeah, so what's kind of interesting? Uh, why our man Danny is on a video chat? Is Danny lives in Idaho, and we are located in beautiful california uh so yeah danny was out here with us for what about a year year and a half yeah yeah and then uh ended up moving back to idaho with the fam and uh yeah was able to keep on rocking with us and hasn't dropped the pace yet so pretty yeah, nice was... to have a solid hardcore dude that's a big you know integral part of the company still be able to remote in still work still be able to work as if you know side by side with us every day you know i was definitely nervous about it at first i wasn't sure how it was going to work out you know like if i was going to be able to communicate well and you know if i was going to be able to do my job without the hands-on side of it but honestly with I mean, wyatt and caleb like being able to check parts and everything like that and communication has been great like we've been able to rock and make a lot of stuff work out really well and you know edits and stuff like that have gone really smooth so it's been working pretty good yeah we were pretty nervous about it too because i think kind of the same thing we just have never done it we weren't sure how it's going to work I don't, I don't, I think we told you this, but I'm not sure, but we went around and just asked everyone that works with you say, Hey, is, can this work? So you better thank, thank them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everyone was like, yeah. every, everyone was just like real quick. Yep. Totally. Let's keep, let, you know, we need to keep them on and it was just stoked, stoked to keep yeah. working with you. So. I, I was nervous, man. Cause so I, I guess I am Danny's uh, direct supervisor and Danny's one of the boys and I love my boys. Mm-hmm. Our guys are awesome. And it was like, Oh man, Danny's moving away heartbroken and then it was like but and then you're like hey i what if i work from home what if there's an opportunity to make this work remotely 
And I'm pretty skeptical generally, so I was just like, I don't know, man, it's, it's a big card to fill. And But, yeah, Danny just absolutely blew my expectations out of the water, you know, even more than what I was initially anticipating, which is awesome because, you know, it's an integral part of this whole company, um, and it's, you know, it has to work. It cannot yeah. fail. That's and, the biggest issue. And then COVID hit, and he was like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm already on. <laughs> well, yeah, I feel like in some ways, you know, I feel – like with me doing the whole working from home thing kind of set us up when that happened that we were kind of already somewhat prepared for how to work from home if we had to. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. We had a little bit of infrastructure tested out and yeah, you know how kind of how the model worked with you is how we kind of paved the way for the few of the guys were able to have work off site during those couple months when it was, you know, the hard lockdown and we're encouraged to send people home if possible, you know, so that kind of made that work out. All right. Yeah, for sure. So next, uh, next question are, what are some shops or brands that really inspire you? Uh, well, for me, I guess I already talked about, uh, Lincoln welders. Um, we also use a lot of, uh, Haas machines. Now we have, uh, a few Haas machines, a couple of lays, and, uh, we just got a, a Haas mill. And, uh, so far we've had nothing but uh, good luck with those machines. Those first lathe we got was four years ago now probably 2016 it's 2020 yeah yeah gosh that's been that long that's crazy wow and it's been running eight hours ten hours a day for you know every every day haven't had any issues with that one we also got a uh, a smaller lathe to help help keep up with the demand that we have and that one's been going good for a year two years now i think you know it's funny about that though is it's it's a so the first one was an st20 Yes. So, we, so we got an ST15, right? But it's only smaller. What is that? The Z axis? The travels, the Z and the X, yeah, are smaller so, travels. So the travel is less, but the bore size is bigger, right? Right. Yeah. So you can spin larger diameter material. And the tool holder is the same, same right. amount of tools, right? Same number of tools, smaller tool shank. So in theory, you wouldn't be able to take as heavy of a cut, but. Uh, in our experience, it, it hasn't really affected anything. You can take some heavy cuts. Yeah, you can. I think can jam. Yeah, you can remove some material for sure. Yeah, it's an impressive machine, man. Yeah, the 15, and then it has, like, yeah, just some added features to it and stuff. But Yeah, the larger bore is, is awesome because we spin all of our uh, Delrin products on that, and some of those diameters are pretty big, 2.5 diameters. So that brings that, uh, brings that in-house. Before, that wouldn't have worked in our 20 because that only has a 2-inch bore capacity. So... A lot of our That's bigger right. parts we make on our 15, which is a smaller machine, but our smaller parts. Man, we make it kicks on ass, though. <laughs> yeah. Is there any, uh, you know, off-road or automotive brands that you've always been a fan of or inspired you? Uh, I'm a Jeep guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jeep. Uh, no, I've I've only had Jeeps. That's all I really know. I don't really have any preference. I mean, there's cool Toyotas out there for sure. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I have a Jeep Wrangler, uh, 2006 Jeep Wrangler Unlimited, and a Jeep Cherokee. So and you, you have, have the ZJ, right? I did. Yeah, uh, I sold that though. That was my first uh, my first experience. So some of the fab work on that wasn't the best. <laughs> I was a kid. I was still learning. But uh, yeah, I had a Grand Cherokee. And your Wrangler though is the uh, what's that model? That's the, it's the LJ. The LJ. LJ. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He said I think he just yeah, said unlimited. unlimited. So I yeah. wanted the. Just speak up about that because I think they have in the uh, LG or whatever yeah, school. Yeah, it's cool, man. I love yeah. that long wheelbase. It's yeah. rad. Yeah. Yeah, and that link system you built on that thing was pretty cool, too. Nice yeah. and low. Yeah, it works pretty flat good. Links. Yeah, they're all just our, our brackets, the front three link, just with our brackets, and the rear four link is our combo four link bracket. So I just throw them on the frame and dial your geometry in, and you're good to go. Oh, yeah. What about you, Caleb? 
what's some stuff that you like uh honestly the whole like social media group as a whole like there's some killer shit on there and it really drives me to want to make cool parts like that so what's some instagram pages that you like uh i know there's ones you like (laughs) i really can't think of any off the top of my head but yeah i would say hashtag (laughs) i don't know like like wyatt said uh haas has really been important to us and and our design process and getting parts out yeah i don't know i don't really have any one brand but social media is definitely really cool how's the support with uh with haas good phenomenal really good Yeah. yeah they're a stand-up company man and now you went out to the lincoln training as well did you go one year what i did yeah out to cleveland ohio to visit the lincoln factory tell us a little bit about that i mean that's something that's pretty unique and you guys were both in you both, both took advanced motorsports there yes. yeah. yeah yeah tell a little bit about that because i know it's an impressive campus you know everything about it is pretty much as goddamn american as i can get <laughs> yeah yeah for sure they have a a really good, uh, I don't know if it's an outreach program or whatever it is, but all their companies that, that use a lot of their products are in, involved in motorsports, so like racing, drag racing, NASCAR, Ultra 4, which is kind of how we got the foot in the door. Um, IndyCar and stuff too, right? Yeah, IndyCar. Or Formula or whatever. Yeah. They have a, it's called an advanced motorsports program, and they invite all those companies to come out and tour the factory and they give uh, a really good lecture and a seminar one day and the next day is all hands-on with their uh, equipment and they have the latest and greatest machines that they have out there so you get to kind of see what's coming up in the next few years and they got a really good staff of of people there that really know exactly what goes on with the machines and and the welding process so there's a a big knowledge base far beyond just like a salesman trying to get you by the machine yeah yeah Yeah. Now, the campus is pretty spectacular, too. I know it's pretty yeah, pretty they, massive. They have a huge facility, and I think um, after I went there, they built a whole other facility just for classes, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, uh, when I went, they had just finished their new facility a couple months prior. Uh, I think it was something like a $2 million new facility. It had over 100 different welding booths in it, Wow! all with their own machines, own ventilator systems. Uh, grinders I mean everything you you need to weld was in that booth yeah it, it was a crazy program I'm really thankful for that experience uh, they talked a lot about metallurgy mine was a little different than Wyatt's we did like an hour or two of lecture and then we went out to the lab and did some welding and came back to do some more lecture and then yeah we just kept going back and forth yeah I liked it it was it was awesome learned how to weld different types of metal, Inconel, titanium, magnesium. And they give you they give, more exotic stuff, huh? Yeah. That's cool. And they give you they give you guys like the literature and stuff too. Yeah, they send us home with uh, probably 4 or 5 inch thick stack of books that you could <laughs> find any information for welding or metallurgy that you need in there. That is awesome. And now you went to that as well, Garrett, didn't you? Yeah, I forget what year, but it's been a while. Yeah. So this is, uh, you know, it's like an invite-only thing that a, a guy named Mickey, uh, who's the head of their motorsports marketing back in the day, right? Wasn't it what he was doing, motorsports? Yeah, he's the motorsports marketing division. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah and he's a cool dude that, you know, he's helped us out with King of the Hammers, getting us set up with the Rangers, the LN boxes, all the gear that we bring down there from Lincoln to make it happen. And uh, I know he kind of initially set us off and send guys out there and whatnot. And what year, you went two years ago now, Caleb? Yeah. Yep. Gotcha. Now you're probably like three or four years back now. Yeah, huh? I think four years ago. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I think what the intention is behind it is they're they're trying to educate 
uh, I guess the people they sponsor, right? They're they're taking information and knowledge and passing it down to the motorsports um, right area. Yeah, it's pretty cool too because you know Lincoln makes virtually everything they sell in America, which is cool. I know they're spinning up tons of wire. It's enough to go around the world a couple times or something per day. Some crazy number. Yeah, they make a lot there. Yeah, crazy. You know, putting their own circuit boards together and stuff. I remember hearing a little bits, looking it up, seeing pictures, and pretty impressive facility. You know, it's a lot to aspire to, that's for sure. Giant, yeah. uh, whatever that is, the wind. Yeah, windmill. I was just about to talk oh, yeah. about that. They had to take like a seven-state bypass detour to get the windmill uh, to their factory. The most of the underpasses that you would go under (laughs) were too short so they had to go around a bunch of states to miss the underpasses (laughs) until they finally got it to where it is i think the at the base it's uh 16 to 20 feet wide i think wow so i wonder how they found that information out like do you think like i don't think you can just go up and like google that right you have to like drive <laughs> yeah. you have to like drive the location like, nope this isn't gonna work let's go that way yeah just they sent like the 30 car they just sent like 30 people out and, like go drive from here to here yeah <laughs> all their sales reps in that area measure the bridge take this laser finder yeah <laughs> that's crazy um danny what about you as far as like brand, um, brands or shops or um i've definitely been a big fan of the haas machines as well um you know, I've been in a lot of different machine shops and I've run a lot of different brands of machines too, but the Haas were always easiest to run. They're kind of, you know, you get on them, you know what you're doing on all of them. Like the controllers are pretty similar. They're really easy to get into and run and, and they do what you're expecting to do almost all the time. You know, I've run some other machines that are way faster, way stronger and did different things, but they always were difficult in one way or another. So the Haas are always been pretty good. Um, yeah, as far as, uh, and then older machinery, I really like like the old bridge ports and stuff like that. Um, lathes and mills, like can't really beat the bridge port. That was kind of like the the gold standard for the day back before all the CNC stuff. Yeah, that's the benchmark, man. I mean, we put so many miles on our uh, bridge port. We still have like yeah. the original one we bought, right? I think so. Yeah. It's the yeah. I think we have the original one. Then we have another one we added later on. So right. we we bought one that one in like I'm trying to think what year that was. That had to be like. 2011 or 2012 and that was like a big deal because we were like going to start machining like diff covers yeah in house <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it still is like was it's been machining diff covers until like up in like i don't know a year ago or maybe or maybe yeah. does it still a couple of years ago it was pumping out diff covers when another machine would go down we would have to throw the the jigs and fixtures on the bridge port and so we have to get down manually. It's hard <laughs> yeah. to beat old iron, man. It's yeah. all hard to beat it. Yeah. Just strong shoulders from cranking the wheel, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even now with our uh, new Haas mill that we just got during that transition, um, because of power and some other stuff, we weren't able to use our other mill, so we had to revert back to our bridge port. And yeah. Oh, that's right. It yeah. was just kicking ass. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Manual machine. As far as it's beautiful. It's amazing what people can do, you know. Yeah. Pretty impressive. Sorry. Outside the machining world though, like, you know, I'm a, I already kind of mentioned I'm a big Toyota fan. Been driving Toyotas forever. And right now I've got a 2009 Tacoma. Just a two-wheel drive, four-door. It's a family rig, not really much of a played rig, but <laughs> I have dreams of maybe doing something like pre-runner style with it later, but we'll see how that goes. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah I was trying to think of other brands that I really like um the machine shop i worked for before promoto billet i always even now i still really like looking at what they do because they 
you know, it's all CNC machine stuff. It's mostly aluminum billet stuff, but they do make their stuff look really good. It's very prismatic and very almost looks like jewelry for, you know, UTVs and motorcycles. And so I still kind of look at them and try to use them as first some inspiration now and then, even though we're in a completely different market and we're using different materials and stuff like that. It's still kind of cool to look at them. Yeah, I, I, I agree with, with that. I always look at different industries for inspiration anywhere, really. I guess even if it's like marketing, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll just gather inspiration from other people in marketing or totally other ideas. You yeah, know, sometimes so. it's stuff that's out of your own beaten path. That's, stuff really makes a difference. You know, something neat, something interesting, a little different. Yeah. What about you, Garrett? What's stuff that you like? Uh, shoot, I don't know. I wasn't prepared for that question. <laughs> <laughs> uh shops and brands i mean yeah i don't know i i haven't used the the haas machines ever i was like too afraid to like try and figure out how to program cnc stuff for fun because i might crash them and then we'll be down for a week and cost a bunch of money yeah but uh i don't know i just i really enjoy like playing on a lathe and, and whatnot so but i don't know i don't really have a good answer i guess oh yeah what do we got next? Got who designs the tooling you guys use? It's another user submitted question. Yeah, I think this goes back to the the fixtures and and, and the the jigs and things like that. That's all done in house as far as uh, uh, weld ups go. So all of our axle housings and uh, our uh, razor A arms and everything, those are all made on in house jigs that we made. So we have some really cool axle jigs. Um, just a big I-beam, essentially. I don't know. Did you make those, Garrett, or were you involved in that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I made the first one or two. or first Actually, one. I think I might have made all three of them. I don't remember yeah. now. Two for sure. We yeah. have three now. So. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why, like, what the idea, like, was, like, why we did it that way, but I just remember making them. Yeah. I think, we, I think we thought, like, we had to clamp everything down, like, super tight, and that's why we did it. That's why we went with an I-beam, yeah. and then having the adjustability. I think Mel was one of our machinists that made the first... Uh, those first like tube clamps yeah yeah that are still around actually i think he made all of them actually and then we've just been like fixing them along the way kind of making yeah. them work but yeah yeah that was a long time ago i don't i think i did all those holes with either a drill press or that mag drill like the electronic mag, yeah, drill. I mag just, drill i don't remember now it's been a long time all right i just actually thought of a, a brand that uh it does inspire me a lot and that's uh origin origin maine out of Maine, hell of a brand, and the reason why they're they're sick, they're they're a manufacturer of um, actually quite a few things now, but they uh, make jujitsu geese, and that's how I found out about them. And they make they make everything in the U.S., which is dope. Yeah, I mean they're in all kinds of textiles, boots. Yeah, they make boots now. Shirts, they make jeans, pants, shirts. Yeah. Um, they make uh, supplements too now in the U.S., but. The cool thing is, is like the story behind that company and like how the guy like started off like importing geese and just his designs were getting stolen and from other you know from his vendor like selling them off to other people and then he would see that his you know his design his new designs with different logos on it and whatever else and he just ended up getting pissed one day and uh was like all right fine i'm making my own factory i'm gonna do my own stuff and so he built a factory with like no real good plan in mind he's like i'm just gonna make my own geese and he ends up trying to make his geese and, and get get uh and geese are like i didn't explain that properly geese are like the uniform like that you like train jujitsu in if like it looks like a pajamas or something it's kind of fun <laughs> but he <laughs> couldn't get 
he made it, he built this factory on his property out in Maine and then he he needed to get fabric and he realized so he, he bought a sewing machine was ready to start making geese went to go buy fabric and realized all the fabric is made overseas that he could that he could find at least and he wanted to go buy a loom now like th- this is like a short short version right so he goes to find a loom to make his own cotton or own material yeah spin material and he found out that all the looms during like the downturn and i think even just before that were um were shipped overseas (laughs) so like american companies were shipping off machinery overseas to to sell the stuff back to us it was just crazy and so you know he's been slowly like bringing this industry like back and and same thing with like all the booting boot equipment like which is really a dying industry in america and the, unfortunately yeah the boots and stuff were even like worse he said like the way i heard him in a couple podcasts he has his own podcast called like hands in daylight i heard, I heard him on the jocko podcast first originally because they teamed up but uh yeah he just, he just he's done just some done some crazy stuff and they're just growing like crazy and just really really inspiring company and just gets me like fired up every time I listen to him talk about like just how like the risks they've taken and like how they're just like pushing hard to like make everything they can. And they're, they're just a manufacturer, but they're, they're making something a little bit different than us, but like it's the same type of business that there's, they're, yeah. they're making stuff and it's awesome. Bring jobs here, making it happen. Totally. So yeah, I actually just thought of a few companies that I'm big fans of, uh, Ford. I'm a very big Ford fan. Uh, have been for a long time, grew up in Chevy's, but somehow eventually ended up in Ford trucks and, uh, Smart designs, uh, big proponents of Dana fucking sixties, <laughs> which uh, you know everybody can get behind. Yeah, um, Toyota axles all the way. Yeah, <laughs> eventually, eventually they'll figure it out. Um, Do they even make straight axles anymore in the front? No, not at all. <laughs> Maybe in other countries. I don't know, man. They got cool shit in other yeah, countries. Yeah, in other countries they do make some weird looking stuff. I'm also a big fan of uh, steel uh, chainsaws or steel, however you pronounce it. Uh, not automotive, but really well thought out designs and beautiful craftsmanship. I have a buddy that has one from the '90s. It's all steel and it's, you know, big 30-inch bar, ridiculously heavy machine that just has, you know, 20 years of just grinding down on the bottom, getting dropped into, you know, the dirt as people are moving shit around, and whatnot. But I'm also a big fan of Glock. Mm. Beautiful craftsmanship, simple. I like tough. Me, I like me a Glock. I like me some Glock. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of Glock fans in this room, actually. Yeah. Huh? Which, yeah. which, uh, actually, on that topic, what you have a seventeen? I believe it's seventeen. Yeah, four and four point five inch barrel, or four. Yeah, I think four point five. Four inch and a half. Yeah, which is nine mil. Yeah, it's and a nine millimeter. What do you got? You got? You got? Is that all the Glocks you got? Uh, yeah, yeah. You got a couple, don't you? What? I do. Yeah, I have a a nineteen, which is the the mid size nine, slightly shorter than the seventeen, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And sure. I also have a, a twenty three. That's still a full grip, though, full handle. It's uh, not like a compact. I think it's slightly shorter. It's in gotcha. between their full size and their subcompact. So I mean, I think gotcha. everything's just shrunk. You have a Glock twenty three? I do. Yeah, the forty cal. Oh, it's a forty cal. Okay, I was thinking yeah. of the um, that little compact like nine mil. Oh, uh, the forty three. The forty three. Yeah, yeah those stack. are hard to get yeah. and they're yeah, expensive. Hard. They're like nine hundred thousand bucks because they're LEO. Oh yeah. Because we live in California. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I'm too young to have any guns, <laughs> handguns at least. So, but the first one you're buying is gonna be Glock pistol. <laughs> and then you got a couple, don't you, Garrett? I have a 17 and a 26. Yeah, yeah. both nine <laughs> subcompact and just yeah, full range size. range full size. Yeah, but I I really wanted the uh, OD green model when that came because they they come out like once every couple of years I think. Yeah, yeah. they just re- re-released them. The battlefield green, yeah, new, for the new gens I think. 
Oh, cool. Yeah, I did the, yeah, whatever. I think it's Gen 3 is the one I got. But yeah, but. I guess kind of the theme of sh- stuff I like is uh, tough and simple. You know, not a lot of crazy stuff going on. Although the Ford truck I have has a lot of crazy stuff going on, turbos and computers mm-hmm. and junk like that, and a lot of gears and all that. But I like simple engineering that's tough and lasts a long time. You know, something you can really beat on for years and years and years and keep its value. And I'm, I'm not really a resale value kind of guy, I realize. It's just more of like, how much time can I beat the crap out of it before I got to get a new one? You know, anyway. Danny, you got Glocks? You know, being from Idaho, you'd think I'd have a bunch because we have tons of gun owners up here, but I own none right now. I'm surprised. Yeah, I was going to say just from Idaho. Yeah, it's, I'm kind of backwards in that way. Like, there's part of me that's wanted to start collecting a little bit, but. I'm so much into bikes. Like anytime I've got extra money, it's going to bike parts. So, yeah, yeah, you still do a lot of BMX stuff with the kids and stuff, huh? Oh yeah, yeah, we do a lot of riding. And you guys um, do moto too, still, right? I uh, kind of got out of the moto thing. Like I do a little bit of trail riding now, but that's about it. Yeah. Um, but mostly, yeah, we've been doing a lot of BMX. I have a dirt jumper, been doing that a bunch, and a little bit of mountain biking too. Oh yeah, that's so. fun, man. It's fun to get out there. Yeah, with your own four wheels with motor, or two wheels and. Your two leg motors, it's always a good time getting out. So we were talking about, what, tooling and jigs and stuff, right? I think Wyatt was telling us. I mean, what, we got the Mata. Oh, Those all yeah. work pretty good, right? All the tooling. Yeah, we have uh, a big Amata, 8-foot Amata press brake. I think it's an 8010 80 press brake yes, with sir. the CNC back gauge that we bend all of our, or most of my, most of our bent parts on. And uh, it's been a big help for us bringing more things in-house manufacturing that's kind of our our goal with that we're able to buy just flat laser cut parts and uh bend them in-house so our uh, press break guy tim he kicks ass every day Tim's, uh, tim gets after it <laughs> yeah man. he's a Damn. character <laughs> just hear him talking to his podcast and stuff yeah yelling at his podcast <laughs> yeah. having a great time yeah and we also have a lot of uh uh bailey machines we have uh two bailey lays we have really big uh Bailey lathe, we we put axle housings in that when we need to machine those, which that I gotta say is a sight to see. Yeah. I mean, that is impressive to see that housing spin around like that, and how yeah. true you guys can actually get is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have that one, uh, the big one, and we have a little one that machines uh, all of our custom DOM is machined on a little smaller Bailey lathe, and uh, we machine other stuff on that one too, axle uh, housing ends like bearing cups for four nine inches and stuff gets machined on on the manual machine um not completely machined just machined to go inside of our axle tubes uh, and then we have a bailey mill which uh for a long time that was our workhorse for diff covers yeah, um i think kicked ass for days man yeah it's got servos on it of course so you can I mean you're not manually feeding anything but uh it's a manual knee mill with servos on it so i mean it's pretty basic compared to a, a modern day Modern day compared CNC to the VF4, we just picked yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Might as well be a dinosaur compared to that beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah, we run that thing hard all the time, all day, and uh, it has a DRO on it, so we can uh, machine some other complex parts. But we don't do any super, super complicated machining on it. We machine our axle housings on it currently. So we're fly cutting the the seal surface. We're drilling the hole pattern, and we're we're making sure our uh, depths are correct, so uh, we fit our third members correctly. But as far as that goes, it's pretty much the only production stuff it does. Yeah. I think anything crazy we do off the clock on that one. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah, 
Yeah. Oh, we got the cold saw too, I guess, huh? Oh, yeah, the Bailey cold saw. Yeah, yeah that gets used hard every day, cutting tube. That's We've almost worn a hole through the the tube, like the oh, guide rack. The guide yeah. The yeah. rack, yeah. Yeah, our 120 wall tube is almost wore completely through from tube sliding across it. Yeah. It is impressive to see that. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing to see just from basic friction <laughs> yeah. how much steel can get removed in a couple years' time. Yeah. And what did we count up one time? We were. We were cutting almost like 22,000 feet of that thing since we oh. bought it or something. That was a couple years ago when we figured that number out. Yeah, we were trying to figure out. It was, I don't know. A f- insane amount of tube Yeah, over the past couple of years. It's just insane. Yeah, it was a, a number of miles, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> like a handful of miles. <laughs> broke it down to miles and it really yeah. put it in perspective. It's like, wow. <laughs> yeah. That is pretty cool. Yeah. Tooling. What else? Is that it? I think that's about it. Oh, we were talking about brands a little bit ago, and you were talking about brands that inspire you. Another one that kind of inspired me was a uh, Fast Cap, which I know mm. you looked into a bit with their all their lean stuff and whatnot. Like they really pushed that market a lot as far as lean manufacturing and all that kind of stuff, making manufacturing go fast and easy. And yeah, yeah. so I like watch, I love watching his videos. Like he's always got something that's like, oh man, that makes things so much easier, so much faster, like less mistakes, like. They just really inspiring company to watch. Yeah, every time I watch one of those videos, I get like super fired up. I'm like, all right, I got an idea. And then now that's the guy that's uh, real big on implementing Kanban cards and stuff like that for yep. lean manufacturing. Yeah, right? yeah just lean yeah. in general. Yeah, like he just he they showed like their whole Kanban system. There's like a it's called like Fast Cap Shop Tour, and there's like a there's a there's a first one, and there's like a 2.0 version. The first one I thought was like the best, just because it just goes quickly over like everything they have, and yeah, it's pretty it's. I agree with Danny. That's a definitely inspiring company and just how they, how they do everything. It's kind of like a little bit overwhelming at first. Cause you think of just like, God, that feels like such a, um, OCD way to do things or whatever. But then when you actually like are just like thinking about like the intent behind it all and like what they're actually doing is they're making things like simpler and easier. Yeah. They're like, it's more frustrating to like have to do things like three times or like, uh, someone forgot to order this and now you're out of stock or whatever just simple little things that like can be frustrating but um they just make it like make it easy yeah so all right well let's uh we got you guys all here on the podcast let's talk about some of the uh processes for designing new products i mean what happens once we decide we got to make this thing i mean what's kind of the first steps um so we have product meetings once a week uh every thursday a lot of the uh, department heads get together and they talk about a new idea that somebody had or uh, or uh, something that they saw. Um, yeah, we kind of we'll go over it and see who if we decide we want to do it, and if we do, then we'll kind of prioritize it into where it fits with our other projects and whatnot. Yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, we have a lot of projects going on at once, just because you know there's a lot of moving parts when it comes to making a, a new product. So, yeah, we'll start on the. Uh, the weekly meetings and uh, we have a checklist we go down it it starts obviously in the design stage with uh, Danny and uh, he'll draw up a uh, design and then we'll get together and talk about it there's things we can change things we like things we don't like um, ways we can make it easier to uh, manufacture and then uh, from there it goes to a uh, first article stage where we submit an order for a sample of one part or you know a handful of parts just a, a small run and then we can get our, our hands on it and actually have a physical part to look at and test and measure and, and see how it works. And then from there, we'll, we'll figure out more, more things that we need to change or if we like the product, it'll, it'll get pushed through to our, uh, 
are uh, purchasing, I guess, to make sure it's feasible. Yeah. Um, trying to find vendors and supply chains that are able to meet our price requirements to bring a comp- competitive price to market. Um, and after that, I mean, it gets um, gets thrown up on the website. There's a lot of stuff that goes goes on behind the scenes on the website. I know Lewis does all of our pictures and descriptions and everything. That's a very involved process, but from our end, we see it go right up on the website. And, uh, and it's live pretty much. So. Yeah. yeah. And after like the first article stage, generally like what I've seen is, especially when it's like outsources, we'll do the first article, get it in our hands. Then we have to make some edits Yeah. and then get another article. Yeah. And then either that's good or it's not good. And it just keeps going, going yeah. until it's good. Right. Yeah. That's really the biggest issue we have right now is waiting on first articles. And that was one of the reasons that, uh, we're looking into getting a laser is um, bringing that process in-house and speed it up immensely. Not having to submit an order to a vendor and wait, you know, for them to get around to make it and then ship it to us. Then we got to have our press break bend it. So, yeah, sometimes we wait for samples for, you know, a month or more to just get one sample and check it and see if it's even what we want before we make another edit. So, you know, going through two or three edits on a part can take half a year, you know, and or like the bed rack we've gone on that for over a year now. Yep. But so bringing that, that laser in house should make things go much quicker in that, that regard. We could get prototypes done much quicker and checked out the door, get new product on itself. Which has always like surprised me as like from a vendor aspect, because if you think about it, like they're not making money on that part until they start making it for us. Mm -hmm. Until they make start, we start selling it. They mean it, so it's it's in their best interest to make it as quick as possible and get it get it to market. Get that turnaround time down. So I know everyone's like really busy, so it's like it seems like a low hanging fruit to them probably. You know, and they got other orders that are coming in. There's more money, you know, on that. But yeah, I think it's funny that it's just interesting. To, I guess to look at it from that perspective. So yeah, yeah, but so, yeah. Kind of something white hinted at is that uh, you're picking up a uh, big Bistronic laser. It's a pretty big step, pretty cool, exciting thing. It'll be able to really accelerate some stuff up. So, and lean, lean things lean out too. Out. So yeah, if you like rough <laughs> yeah. stuff products, and that's the reason you're listening to this right now, get ready for a whole lot more of them a lot faster. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Like I think we'll we'll be able to develop stuff a lot quicker with that thing in house. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's all about more than you know, just in speeding things up. Where it's you know, increasing our the value we can bring to our team and the amount of stuff we can make here you know, in-house expanding jobs, adding new jobs and kind of just taking it to the next step, being super legit in everything we do. And being, I mean, mainly to be able to supply our customers too. Cause if we didn't, if that wasn't a problem like that, that would be like, we might not be looking at that right now, but we're trying to like solve problems constantly. that's like what running a business is about or generally, right. You're trying to just constantly solve one problem after the next. And there's multiple problems that come with our plate stuff. And so, yeah, laser is like the solution yeah. for sure. And being able to take that headache out of our hands, out of the customer's hands, spectacular, mm-hmm. you know. Well, another cool thing too is like in the past, you know, we pretty much had one CAD guy, you know, and, and we were kind of bottlenecked even by that, you know, and I was that CAD guy for a little bit. But now with, you know, Wyatt and Caleb being able to get into Fusion and, and SolidWorks and start developing a lot more stuff, we should be able to get through a lot more products in a very short amount of time. So I feel like... Yeah, we're really going to start catapulting pretty soon with our all our capabilities. Yeah, and the way Fusion works is we can actually see each person's progress in real time. So if Danny's 
work on a project we can we can also have the same part open and we can see what what's going on that day so we're, we're never really left behind or anything like that we can always see what what stage the parts at oh shit i didn't know that. that's cool yeah. so it's kind of live updating as you guys go through yeah that's cool yeah yeah so how's the file so is the file management what's that sorry doing? i was gonna say it works good for training too because like we were able to do a conference call the other day and i could yeah. see what they were doing and you know i could make some changes i could open up the same file that they had open and yeah and kind of follow right along with them so it definitely has a, been a good tool that way so for uh file management we've always just had you know all the part numbers on on our server which is shared on our domain like internally here in the office or through whatever vpn um and now fusion uses cloud so you can share those items or see live like you're saying so now the current or is the file system going to stay the same for us like are we going to keep everything on the server like a final copy on the server or is everything moving to the cloud or how are we doing that um it'd be nice to be able to back them up on the server as well i mean i think everything by default um, fusion goes to the cloud but i believe there is some ways to back that up and maybe still have it in both places I've been kind of looking into that. There's still some learning I need to do on that to figure out exactly what we're going to do with our file structure. But I think either way, both file structures in the cloud and on our server will be basically the same type of setup. Like we're going to keep, you know, our numbers in the, their own folder on that one file. So it should be pretty easy to find stuff on either one. Right on. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, you guys have been making rough stuff gear for a while. Has there been any particularly challenging products? You guys can remember that have just been a royal pain in your ass to get right and get them to market. Everybody's got one. I got a few. The one that was my bane for a while was the that TJ Panhard bar bracket. Oh, yeah. The uh, 19, no, no, 1988, the other one. The, anyways, yeah, we went through so many iterations on that thing, so many different tries to get that thing right. And we it just had a bunch of complex bends in a small spot, and we just couldn't get the vendors to nail it right and we couldn't tell if the drawing was wrong or if the vendor just wasn't able to get it and so finally i ended up breaking it up into two pieces and now they've been able to nail it no problem but that one i don't know how many iterations we went through on that like rev g or h or something like that before we finally got <laughs> embarrassing one. Revs. Yeah. <laughs> what about you Wyatt? Yeah. what's one that really stands out as like a real kicker for you well i remember we had one that was supposed to be really simple but we were having issues in the bend up process it was the jeep oh. upper control arm r1666 bracket I, yeah it was the one yeah, that yeah. goes on the jeep front upper control arms it's kind of like a uh it's a two inch wide mounting width i don't know what you call it it's like a uh some people call it a pickle uh what do they call it or no a uh fork end or whatever i don't know i've heard people use yeah all, all jeeps use the the same style bracket on there so if you on a jeep you kind of know what we're talking about but on the front upper control arm is a bracket that has to fit around a two inch mounting width bushing and the way we had it made is, is uh there was three bends in the part and the final bend we were having issues with it cracking every time right on the bend seam so I think I don't know how many res we had on that, but there was a lot. We had a lot on that one too. Yeah. <laughs> then finally, the same thing there. We ended up breaking it up into two pieces again and yeah. made it much easier to make. Yeah, and it was it came down to I think the grain direction in the metal, like the plate steel has grains in it, and depending on which way you bend it, if it's with the grain or against the grain, it's going to have a tendency to crack uh, more. So I mean, playing yeah. with that and dependent on the like the dies you use for bending yeah, too right like yeah. the radiuses and the v, v die yeah punch. the the punch radius and the v die width is all going to have a factor in that so 
I think eventually we, we decided to make it two parts, have the top piece weld on, and that after we did that, I think we nailed it first try. So I think I remember that one actually too, because like, cause it was on the the sheet the new for our new product meeting like every week. And yeah. It's like, yep, nope, still having problems. Yep, nope. Yeah. And I think it was like everyone had like tunnel vision on that, and I forget if it was me or someone else, then they were just like, why don't we just make it three pieces and just yeah. weld it on? <laughs> like, they're like, okay, yeah, and then, that, and then it just got fixed. But you know how like yeah. you get like hyper, like just we got to fix this and get yeah. tunnel vision. I think that's what was happening on oh, that yeah. one. Yeah. Well, how about you, Caleb? I mean, what's a real ringer that you remember? Uh, honestly, the new rock sliders were not like making them or assembling them, uh, but the part numbers themselves, just with the different lengths. There's a lot of different configurations of them. Uh, it got really confusing, and I was kind of the one making all the part files on that, and uh, I ended up giving Danny a call and had him help me out with that because it was really sloppy and confusing. I could find the part number, but if I asked uh, Wyatt or Danny to, I'm not sure that they would be able to. <laughs> so That's kind of neat. So like the one that's big pain for you is more on the organizational aspect of it, of yeah. having you know, something that's a similar skew with multiple variables again and again and again and again. Yep. When the biggest variable is extra feet, extra gusts, it's more tube. Yep. You know, it's not like it's a new product. It's just more of the same junk. Yeah, exactly. So... Also, there's the issue too with like changing the the pattern from you know an odd number to an even number. Like first we had the pattern set off of the mid plane, so then you just change the pattern by two. You could get it, you know, if you stayed in an odd number is no problem. But all of a sudden you went to an even number, you have to change where the start points at, all kinds of stuff. So yeah, yeah it's kind of it's a little bit more complex than it seems just to add a couple parts to it. <laughs> yeah, that so. one and uh, actually another really simple product are brake bracket what is it the clamp on one that's it gets bent to a 90 and then it gets a radius bent into it oh the uh, hose uh, hose tab yeah yeah um and yeah solidworks and fusion both they do not want you to put a radius right on the edge of a bend so uh <laughs> yeah that was really confusing on on how to get that modeled up with the correct dimensions and correct bend radius and everything so I think you have to like trick the software and like cut like really small reliefs in it probably for like next to the radius. We actually ended up making two different bodies and having to uh, loft them together to get it to do what we wanted. Just because once you, you know, you, you put a bend in something, a 90 degree bend, and then you want to basically roll that, that bend, there's no flat section left anymore. So the, the computer software just did not know what to do with that. It doesn't like want you to bend over like the another another like bend yeah. radius, right? Or at the edge of another bend radius. Yeah, in the yeah. real world, it, there's some distortion that happens to make that happen. You know, you have basically two perpendicular bends going on in the same place, and SolidWorks and and uh, Fusion don't really know how to figure out what that distortion is. But so we yeah we had to make some special bodies to make make it work. Like it's kind of a half flat pattern, and then there's a different configuration for the actual part that has the lofts going together. So. It was kind of a, a tricky little one to figure out, even though it is a pretty simple part. And in real world, it's really easy to bend that part and put the radius on it. It's not that hard, but to make SolidWorks or Fusion understand that is a whole different thing. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I had an issue with that Sam one or something like that a long time ago. And we some tricks we did for things like that was cut really, really tiny reliefs to where you couldn't see it and then, and then throw the bend on it. And then in the DXF, when it flattens out, you can just delete the lines. I think, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I believe, I don't, yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Talked about some pain in the butt products to design and make real. What about your guys' favorite rough stuff products? I mean, is there any particular that are like, man, that is a great product, whether you had a hand in it or not? I mean, what's something you guys have always liked? What do you think, Gild? Um, I'm a fan of all of our tabs and uh, weld washers. I like to weld washer everything. Um, <laughs> See, that's that's the new generation of builder, man. Weld washer in every single hole. Yeah, all the I mean, time, I don't every know. Every single thing. I remember I was like, 15 came in here and I needed some off-road parts and the guys were like oh I think I actually had drilled the hole to the wrong size or something and they're like oh why don't you use a fix-it weld washer and I was like what is that and as soon as he explained it to me uh yeah fell in love with those things they're awesome (laughs) came on I I think the I can't remember if the fix-it I think the fix-it might have been Dan's idea that one but I I know the threaded one was my idea I got it from uh trying to do I was working on Dan's FJ40, and I was trying to mount a cross member um, to the frame, but I didn't want to like. There was no room to like just add tabs, and so I made the I I cut holes out and then uh, put a washer like a normal washer with a nut on the back of it, and then welded that flush to the frame, and that way you could put like plate like bolt things up to the inside of your frame rail and have threads on it. Nice. And so I was like, we should make this. Yeah. yeah, I haven't used the threaded ones a whole lot, but definitely the fix its and uh just the regular ones are sweet yeah super handy yep what do you like Wyatt? um my favorite product is probably got to be our axle housings i think they're sweet now you're working on a, a six lug one right now i right? am yeah I, I built a uh your six lug jeep my six lug jeep yeah i have uh <laughs> it's uh just a semi-float three five spine semi-float rear rough stuff housing i built and uh turned out really well it's got armor on it yeah i can't wait to put it in I got a matching front 60 to throw in there also. So Now it's a Super Duty 60 that you're redrilling 6, right? Yeah, so it's the 99 to 04 Super Duty, so it's the one before the... No control arm. Yeah, BS. none of that. Those huge yeah, bosses that on stuff there. on there. I started with one of those, and it was just so big and massive. I'm like, dude, my Jeep can't handle this. So I <laughs> stepped it down to 99 to 04. Now, did you end up uh, retubing that one? No, that one okay. was factory width. That was another reason because it was a little bit narrower, so I could just leave it alone. It has three and three and a half inch, three eighths wall axle tube. Beef. So, yeah, it's it's a beefy axle in itself, but it's not super overkill. And I was able to uh, bore the unit bearings uh, to fit thirty five spine outers and uh, uh, redrill the unit bearings to six lug because six lug wheels are everywhere, Chevy and Toyota guys. So yeah, you always get a spare somewhere. Yeah, the used market is saturated with those and on the trail if you blow a bead you can always hit up your buddy for a six lug wheel oh yeah what about you danny what's something that you like i might be a little bit biased most of the ones that i like are the ones that i've worked on but um <laughs> the one that i had a lot of fun doing was the tj front bumper oh yeah uh, oh, yeah oh, that's it a, was yeah, kind that's of fun too because it you know it came to me from neil and wyatt actually gave me a cardboard cutout on that one to start with and you know we took that cardboard cut out and had to you know i had to go through and redesign the, the edge the corners and stuff like that and ended up coming out pretty well you know for when we were finished with it and i was really happy with that one when it was finished um the other one i really liked was the we did a redesign on the axle truss the beefy truss yeah um, out beautiful that one turned out pretty good and i was actually you know we had those uh i had those overlays that we were gonna do we still i'd like to get back and do those eventually with the American flag and some of the other ones. Yeah, Mallory brought that up yesterday, and I totally forgot about those overlays. And I really yeah. would like to do a couple samples of that at least, especially yeah. the American flag one. Yeah, that one's pretty <laughs> sick. One I think it'd be designs. pretty cool. 
And then, yeah, the bed rack, which isn't out yet. Um, I've been having a lot of fun on that one. I think it's going to be pretty cool when we get it done. Um, so those are my three favorites that I've got as far as stuff that I've been working on around here. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's all been fun, though. What about you, Garrett? What's something that you've always been a fan of or recently started liking? Do you, you know what? Those new those new shirts we got? Yeah. I, I think I'm going to – even, like, the brand, I'm going to go, I think, just buy that brand. Like the, the I like how they fit. Just buy the rough stuff ones. <laughs> yeah, just do all rough stuff. Uh, Axle housings are awesome. Dude, like, I know they're not really, like, uh, like our design because, like, they've been around forever, but trick tabs, I freaking love. Oh, I think yeah. everyone loves like, – so it's like weld washers. They're just – you just, I used them for everything on my when I built my Toyota, and uh, yeah, they're rad. But okay. yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the bumper actually that TJ bumper came out really sick. I do like that that new redesign on the rear truss. The overlays would make it just those little overlay designs would make it way way badass. I think just so, as far as style. style so points. for people like listening that are like, what the hell are they talking about overlays? This <laughs> is taking your awesome rough stuff beefy axle truss and just plastering an american flag cut out right over the back of it which hell yes. you better like because it looks awesome <laughs> and it's our flag yeah it's not to like it's rad i can even see some guys out there doing like a two-tone or something like that on there or like you know you're painting the background and then painting the the front the overlay on top of it mm-hmm. make it oh, pop. yeah yeah or grind paint it and grind, paint everything and grind it and then clear, clear yeah, all that shit yeah. Oh, yeah awesome awesome what else we got here uh, another question we had is, uh, how do you guys put a personal touch on things? So, like, I know it's a little easier for Danny because he's the one drawing this up. But, I mean, all you guys have a lot of input on stuff, how it's going to look, you know, how it's even going to function. Uh, do you guys got any examples? Do you want to chat on that? Anything in that variety? Mm, off the top of my head, I'm going to have to think about that. I think Wyatt just focuses on efficiency. And, like, <laughs> making yeah. it real. Just yeah. make it. I want to cut five yep. seconds out of making this part, so yeah. we're get rid of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's always that's balance. your personal touch, man. <laughs> yeah. Spinning up, I mean, gosh, what was it the uh, misalignments? Increased production on those. What was it, like eight more parts of stick or something like that? Or six more parts? Oh, uh, we had, um, well, yeah, we, we've yet to do that. We need to get a uh, automatic the feeder, a right? bar feeder, yeah, yeah for our lathe. Um, right now we're using three-foot sections of material, so we're having to cut a 12-foot stick up four times. And uh, each one of those bars you get a you know four inch long drop that the machine has to hold on to every time so they an auto bar feeder we can have a full 12 foot stick and only have one of those four inch drops uh per stick so that would beautiful cut down a lot of waste and you know we make so many i think we run eight bars a day per lays we're running two lays 16 bars a day um and you know four four or five inches of wasted material times 16 adds up yeah especially throughout the year yeah. yeah, I think we figured out it almost pay for itself just yeah. in the material it would save. Oh, yeah. On just the aesthetic side of it, though, too, like compared to when we were doing those, the outsource ones bringing those in house, like you got those, oh, yeah, the speeds down good, and they, the finish on those is just amazing compared to the ones that we were getting. Yeah, yeah, just styling in the program and and uh, changing little things here and there, adding chamfers and fillets that look a little bit nicer than what we were getting imported, yeah. and uh, just taking a little more time to have a better surface finish and. Actually, I think all those were domestic. Were they really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Just local machine shops. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the big thing, too. That backside chamfer tool, that thing has been cool, too. Oh, yeah. The pre part yeah. off. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It saved us tons of time, tons of man hours. Well, it's crazy. We were about ready to have to hire a guy for 40 hours a week yeah. just to deburr. It was almost a full-time deburr job, and we brought 
uh, I think it was like 300 bucks for that tool. Yeah. So we had to buy two of them for each lathe. And a great it, investment. Yeah, yeah. It adds, you know, five seconds per part, but you're not paying a guy to stand there and deburr each part in, in, individually. So. so what you're saying, our rods are three feet long that we're cutting? Or are we using four foot sticks? Uh, so they're 12 foot from the mill, and we use three foot sticks in the machine. So we have four three footers at each. Wow. So we're running about 48 feet of misalignment a day. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's a big thing, too, is that a lot of companies, they'll settle for a subpar machinist quality. You know, we always did our best to get the best we could, but you can't guarantee the quality every time. And a lot of companies now are also just depending on outsource, you know, import stuff. And if you're seeing quality, it's not always what you're looking for when you're paying top dollar. So it's been nice to be able to, you know, bring more machines in-house and really ensure that we put out, like, super high-quality stuff that, you know, it fits exactly how it should versus work good enough to go for a run, you know. Mm-hmm. It's nice. Very nice. What about uh, direction? You guys have a direction you want to see us go, or uh, I think we're headed in the right direction. I think the more machines we can bring on in house and cut out uh, the middleman, the better. I think we're we've proved that that works, and we like where we're going with the with the lays and the press break. So we got the mill now, so now we're bringing even more parts in house. We're uh, going to focus on diff covers and axle housings first, because those are our main our main items but once we get those dialed in we'll have some downtime in the mill that we can bring in um even more products maybe some glock parts who knows yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and that late and the laser too i mean that's gonna yeah, the bring in huge. like a ton of our products in-house yeah yeah majority of them at that part at I that think, point i think nuts. we've been talking about it we'll, we'll see a, a bottleneck and probably on the press press break one you know? of those pretty soon but uh what about you caleb you got a direction you want to see us go or I mean, even product direction-wise, what are you looking yeah. to build, man? Uh, honestly, like, yeah, I'm stoked to see more machines coming in-house. Um, and as far as, like, products go, uh, I'm a Toyota guy, so obviously the more Toyota parts, the better. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think if we can just keep making beefy parts that are as universal as possible. It's way to go, man. Yeah. It's worked pretty good so far. Yeah. Right. What about you, Danny? Is there anything you're looking to push towards or you hope to see in the future? Um, I've been excited on the overlanding stuff. I think there's a lot of stuff we can do in that realm. Um, I agree, man. I, I think there's just a yeah, just a lot of stuff in that in that realm that we can make. Um, I want to do more bumpers. I had a lot, of, like I said, I had a lot of fun making that TJ bumper, and I'd like to do more of that. And I know people have been asking for more. So I think I think like I think that. I think we'll be able to to play around with that a little bit more with with some of this equipment we're getting as far as the laser yeah. goes because the biggest problem when you have to outsource even like domestically from like a local vendor down the street no one wants to cut out like three bumpers for you mm-hmm. and it's going to cost you a bunch of money to do yeah. that so it's not cost effective as a company to try and to try and do that but if you have if you already have a laser that's cutting out you know 100 percent of your inventory already you can we can cut one or two bumpers and introduce that into the market and see if it takes, see if we, if we need to make changes, we only have two, you know, a little bit of time invested into it and we can make changes really quickly yeah. versus having 10 or 15 or 20 bumpers. And now we're like, dang it, we got to change this and manually go through and drill these holes bigger or plasma cut and die grind or something, you know, crazy. Most yeah. Definitely. But, um, I'm looking forward to redesigning more of those trusses. I like the way that one turned out, but I'd like to do more of them. We've we got plans on doing a lot more trusses. Personally, I, I know this is going to sound kind of blasphemy, but I'd like to do some IFS 
type work, you know, work on some in a minute, like some Toyota front ends and stuff like that. And some of the other ones, not solid axle stuff. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else in the shop is interested in that at all, but I would be. <laughs> IFS is coming a long way, man. You know, there's some long travel out there. That's pretty damn nimble. It's hard to beat, you know, the Diana Fox and sexy, but it, you know, if you get a good IFS, I've seen some pretty impressive stuff. I mean, that's why ultra four is moving towards it. And, you know, we're probably not going to be able to create, create an out-of-the-box kit that does anything close to, you know, an Ultra 4 car just getting it through the desert and then killing it through the rocks. But, I don't know. You never know. Some long travel kits could be fun. It could be a neat project. Uh, definitely not our wheelhouse, though, by any means. <laughs> definitely something we do not have the hands-on time with. Yeah. I mean, the ra- the Razor stuff, I guess, small scale. Yeah, that was yeah. very challenging. Yeah. <laughs> that was very challenging. Yeah. yeah. IFS centers would be cool. Yeah. Would I would be cool. Yeah. yeah. We've talked about that for a couple of years now, man. Yeah, and now with that new mill, may open up some more options on the bulkheads. Yeah, uh, those are obviously pretty intricate and pricey for perfect. other yeah for other machine shops to make. So, bring that in house. Yeah, that'd be a neat neat direction to go. Uh, something that's definitely not what we're used to. For sure. Um, we had a, another customer or follower, at least on uh, social media. Not sure if he's a customer yet, but he probably will be soon. He was asking if we could explain some of the geometry and decisions behind some of our link hits, three link, four link, trailing arms, things like that. Just kind of why they went the direction that they have become now. Uh, I think uh, one of the big things behind the link hits is they have to be universal, right? So you yeah. have to have they have to fit a wide range of vehicles. So we don't have any super specific kits right now. We have a few Jeep radius arm kits and things like that but super duty radius arm kit super duty radius arm kit yeah but most of our link kits are are fairly universal when it comes to to, uh, geometry i know garrett worked on a lot of those kits uh the three link kit and the four link kit and uh, we have quite a few of them yeah i think you're right i mean about that i mean that's that's what the design is to be yeah they're they're a generic three link four link kit unless they say you know jeep this or toyota that they're not they're not specific right so it's a pretty well-rounded we try and uh, when when i was designing stuff the I, the thought process and i feel like it's kind of the same same way it's like we're trying to create something that's you know high quality high strength and and it's gonna be that's gonna fit well in uh that, that we don't we'd all put it on our own rigs i feel like you know something i want that i'd want to build we're not just trying to slang stuff and and hope hope it works you know we, we want you to call back you know we're yeah. excited to hear how the build went first you know yeah clock that number once they make that sale yeah but as far as like the specific stuff goes i mean how do you guys decide what you're doing there like uh, as far as like a trash pan hard or track bar or uh different like um you know replacing links i mean is there anything special there is that just strength on that or uh no i mean there, there's definitely uh, different aspects to it i think we have as far as our kits go, we just cover the basic, you know, your dual four links, your lower control arms are triangulated as well as your uppers. And then we also have the single four link, which is straight lowers, um, triangulated uppers. And then uh, we also have our three link kit, which is uh, just straight links with the pan hard. So as far as setting it up goes, I mean, obviously, more triangulation, the better when it comes to four link kits. You don't want your axle to walk side to side. Um, straight links tends to give you that tendency to have lateral movement uh, in a four link as far as the three link goes you have the pan hard in there so your axle is going to swing no matter what you do from left to right so i think a rule of thumb is to get a long pan hard that's really flat 
and you want your steering drag link to match the angle of your pan hard. Um, if they're not matching, they're going to swing in different arcs and you're going to get a lot of movement in the steering wheel. Uh, it's called bump steer. It sucks. So it sucks. I think I mean, with I think with straight axle, it's like it's. I think isn't like isn't it considered roll steer or something? Or is that not? Oh, it could be a different term. I yeah. know it is bump steer. All I know is it's not fun. Yeah, I just remember looking that up a long time ago. Yeah, there you can go into detail. It's kind of a rabbit hole when it comes to four links. There's roll center and anti squat, anti dive, and all that. But I mean, when it comes to a, a wheel and a rig, it's it's not it's not a race car. So I mean, if you're just going on the trail. I mean, as long as you got decent separation in your links, you got triangulation, it's 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 gonna do fine. Yeah, yeah. That's why a lot of our brackets also have multiple holes, so you can tailor it into what you yeah. need. Because you know, a lot of times you end up building something and it's not in the hole you initially intended to. But if you go down to the next one, you're flat, you're matched, you're driving, your pan hard's looking great, you're gonna drive a lot better. And so I've heard that too about having a track bar that's as flat as possible, as long as possible, and trying to match your drag link, right? Right. But if you can't get it very long and it's matching your drag length, that is that that's not always the best way to go, right? Because you still you still need to cycle it and and make sure because it's gonna if it, if it's a shorter track bar, that means it's gonna be pulling your axle like left to right quicker than your drag length is because your drag length is generally longer. Right. So wouldn't you wouldn't you want to I guess cycle that and make sure that's not gonna do that or get it flat or. Um, and not and more flat versus uh versus trying to match that drag link or how's that going to work yeah ideally at ride height which is your vehicle sitting on its own weight you would want your your links to be at just a neutral angle which means there's no load on anything because that's you know most of the time your vehicle's at ride height um but you know then again you need to clear everything at full bump so i mean it's kind of a it's kind of a guess and check method i guess you need to you need to uh, build everything to clear at full bump, but still have articulation to get the droop you want, and and still you know handle reasonably well. I mean, yeah. and that's one of the reasons why it's hard to make an off-the-shelf. This fits this perfectly. Yeah, it'll do this perfectly because you know the littlest changes can make the biggest differences. Yeah, what works on a Jeep is not going to work on a Toyota or yeah. a full-size Chevy or something like that. Yeah, my my advice. I don't know. Actually, maybe you guys have some more input on this, Danny and Caleb. Yeah, I my Toyota has some really messed up geometry to it. I built it when I was young, um, but it feels like a champion. Yeah, it still works. I mean, I there's not much that it won't go up if you uh, spend a few minutes with it working on it. But yeah, my drag link is much longer than my pan hard is, and so because of that, I actually made my uh, track bar a little bit flatter to try to catch it in the arc. I don't know if it works. I know at ride height, uh, I don't get too bad of bump steer going down the road, but when I'm wheeling, I can definitely feel the bump steer. So, yeah. I, and that's what I was going to comment on, I guess, is like when I, my my thought process is behind it. If you're, um, if you have it at ride height and you cycle the suspension up to where it's at full bump, if you can minimize the, the bump steer in that range, that's ideally what you want to do. you can't get rid of 100 percent of it because it, it's just going to happen but trying to get rid of it from ride height to full bump because when you're if you're driving on the road or you're driving faster you don't want to hit a bump and it to steer you around but if you're at full like you're less likely to be at full droop and then go to full bump you know unless you're jumping it which you're going to have other problems yeah um it does happen though so that's that's how i've gone uh like theorized and, and built my like how I like built my truck and have always recommended to people to do it that way. So 
I think it's like building it around your purpose. You know, are you trying to go fast? Are you trying to be an ultra four car? Yeah. Or are you trying to take your family out and go wheeling? So, yeah. So another question is, do we have any plans to add unit bearing options for our housings? Uh, Super duty in parentheses. We were actually just talking about this the other day in the meeting. Yeah, we were. Yeah, with the new mill, we'll have a, a certain amount of downtime, um, certain hours a week that we'll be able to uh, prototype new products and potentially bring a lot of old products back. We have a lot of axle flanges that we had in the past. Yeah, um, those were cool. Yeah, that kind of goes back to what Garrett was saying about we having to buy so many to bring the cost down, and then they just sit on the shelf for a long time. It wasn't cost effective for us, but bring that manufacturing in-house, we'll be able to... Uh, not only bring old products back, but uh, but uh, make new ones like bearing cups for unit bearings. That's that's uh, getting to be a real popular axle now. The 05 and up Super Duty and the 99 to 04. A lot of the aftermarket axle housings are based off that older unit bearing. So with the kingpin axle starting to fade away, I think we'll start to see a lot more unit bearing options come up in the future. Yeah. So to answer that question, hell yeah, we are. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Rad. Uh, do you have another question is do you have the, um, the model do or do you have to model the axles or parts yourselves vehicle frames or do you get 3d scans uh, done to help make those models so it's called CAD cardboard aided design and no, <laughs> it used to be we done much of that. We do actually have um, a pretty good setup with SEMA where we get some CAD from them if it's um, from a they're, they have a lot of stuff with Jeep, GM, and Ford, so we can get some of that stuff from them if we really need to. Um, a lot of this axle stuff, though, you know, it's just you need to know the axle size of the tube, and a protractor will get you 90% of the way there. But, yeah, the SEMA stuff does come in handy in some cases, and we've definitely used that quite a bit. Yeah, um, you know, especially for clearances on frames, things like that. It's sometimes yeah. hard to get one of everything, you know, in-house, and often not that possible. But axles seem to be a lot easier to get our hands on, you know. Even working with companies like LKQ, you know, yeah. it's easier to get the good stuff that you want and get your hands on it and actually get to play with it. Yeah. I know just as a, when I was working at ProMoto, um, you know, we'd had to fit parts to new bikes all the time. And I was always wishing that we could have some 3D models from the bike manufacturers. And that was something we could never get, you know, was, that's very much under the vest type stuff you can't have. And so when I came to Rough Stuff and I was able to get some SEMA CAD from, some of these companies, I was just blown away. Like, oh my God, this is so much easier. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, know, you know, one thing to mention that people might be kind of tripping up on is that the SEMA CAD program is a pretty cool perk of being a member of SEMA. Um, and it allows you to get 3D models of virtually anything and everything within what, 10 years or so? Yeah, and Danny would know better now. I it's wouldn't cool. say everything. There's quite a bit on there, though. Like, popular yeah. stuff is really fine. Um, and they do have some of the import stuff. I've seen a little bit of Toyota stuff and whatnot on there, but most of that's hard to use. They like most of the Toyota stuff I've seen on there is point clouds and stuff like that, which are really difficult to use in CAD. I mean, you can use them, but they're very much just reference only. Not they're not, and actually they take up a lot of computer um, RAM. Like it's it slows down the computer to almost a dead stop in a lot of cases. So, um, so that stuff's kind of tough to use. But yeah, a lot of the GM stuff, the Jeep stuff is very available, and it's most of that's pretty clean. Oh, yeah. And the last question we have, which we already kind of answered this, this one, is what off-road exp- um, 
experience and builds have you guys done? Do you have any favorite motorsports? Uh, off-road experience, I I got uh, my first Jeep when I was 15, I think. I'm 27 now, so I've been off-roading that whole time. Um, as far as builds go, I've really only built three different vehicles, uh, a Grand Cherokee, 95 Grand Cherokee, a uh, 2060 Wrangler, and a uh, 92 Jeep Cherokee. All of those have been very mild builds, nothing crazy. Cherokee is still for sale? Uh, yeah, the Cherokee is still for sale. It's a, <laughs> uh, it's a four liter Cherokee on JK axles, uh, JK a 30 and a 44 with, uh, with a three link kit in the front and some 37 inch tires. It's a pretty mild build, but it's, it's fun to wheel. It's super low, rides on bump stops, so it's not comfortable, but it's the ultimate Cherokee budget build. So, How much did you buy that thing for again? Uh, I think I got it for like 450 bucks and spent a weekend getting it running and it's been somehow driving for, I've had it for two or three years now. Somehow driving. Yeah. <laughs> I loaned it out, loaned it out to our buddy to go to the Rubicon a few weekends ago. So we had a great time in that. He so. cruised down a, a hill for like half a mile or something on fumes or something and rolled into the gas station. Yeah, it was advanced, I think, right? Yeah, he said he almost ran out of gas, but... There's no registration, so he had to go away from the gas station yeah, with the was... sheriff in it, so he had to go the wrong direction uh, yeah. on fumes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was right behind him, and he's like... I, I had him on the radio. I'm like, hey, Daniel, you're going to pull into this uh, this gas station? And he's like, oh, shit, cop. And he just goes straight, and I'm like... <laughs> dude where's the next gas station he's like i don't know i'll just have to figure it out i'm like well i'm turning the opposite way so if you run out of gas i mean you're on your own yeah. and yeah he ended up running out of gas at the top of a hill and was able to roll all the way into the gas station there you go perfect <laughs> it's all downhill from the rubicon to georgetown anyways yeah. <laughs> yeah. what about uh, caleb you you race motocross right or riding uh yeah um i got into dirt bikes i've I don't know. I always wanted a dirt bike. I um, didn't start riding though until I was six, and actually, like sixth grade, I ended up getting homeschooled. I was gonna try to pursue racing a little bit more competitively, and I ended up just not not liking the whole homeschool thing. So I went back to regular school, and with that, you can't really be competitive. Um, so. Yeah, uh, dirt biking is definitely a big part of my background. Oh, yeah. I think Danny has some motocross background too, right? Yeah. Yeah, I started off in the whole BMX thing, though, and I did BMX from when I was like 15 to 25. I was actually raced pro for a while, um, which was a lot of fun. And then after that, I kind of got into the dirt bike thing and did some racing, nothing crazy competitive, just a little bit here and there, local races. Um I'm kind of dialed back on that again too. I'm just doing trail riding now. Um, and in Idaho, we we are blessed with a lot of uh, dirt roads, and so probably not legal, but you know, one of the funnest thing to do was take my truck out, or I had a little BMW 325 that I'd go and just rally on the the dirt roads um, all over the mountains around here. So that's kind of my version of off-road experience i guess is just dirt road rallying (laughs) hell yeah yeah. well uh appreciate you guys being on appreciate everyone listening who's listening kind of forgot what we're recording for a while and uh yeah if you want to reach out to us you can hit us up on you know instagram facebook whatever and then we also if you want to email us 
anything really um you can hit us up at uh, podcast at roughstuffspecialties.com anything else zach um yeah email us do it we'll listen to what you have to say answer your questions and uh do the whole bit thanks for listening appreciate it sweet later